2: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, we all knew it was going to be a contentious week on social media. Buttons were pressed, shots were fired, insults were hurled. So John, I have to know how you scored it. Who won the epic Nate Silver versus Darren Rovell Twitter battle of 2020?
1: <laughs> uh, well, uh, I mean, my usual disclaimer uh, has to come here that I know Darren pretty well. and In this case, I don't know Nate at all. Um, but Darren won, and here's why. Nate does not do polling. He just analyzed the ones out there. So if the polling is terrible, which it was not on a national level, but which it was in countless states, then Nate is going to look terrible. Uh, anyone who got within a 10-foot poll of a poll uh, this year <laughs> uh, looks terrible, let's face it. Um, you know, Many people with emotional interest in Election Day on multiple levels, they perceived it as Nate telling them that one side would do a lot better than it actually did. That's not quite right, but after 2016 they'd had to know where were the results of these polls whether it's fair or unfair. And it's Twitter and nothing is fair on Twitter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so I guess there's two different ways to analyze it. Who who won the yep. Twitter argument, and uh, mm. who ultimately did well based on uh, how the election results came in? Now, I don't know Darren Ravel personally, uh, as you do. Um, he is a popular whipping boy and an easy target yes. because because he sets himself up to be a whipping boy. Um, True. I, I don't know if he does it on purpose, like he's uh, intentionally dense because he knows it'll get a reaction, or uh, if his every thought on Twitter actually reveals what's happening in his brain. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but it seemed to me that, that Nate Silver certainly won the Twitter battle in the moment, telling Rovell that it was a disqualifyingly stupid tweet. Now, that it's not great civil discourse, uh, but I, I think that is a, a fantastic insult. But uh, as you said, uh, as the actual results came in, 538's projections uh, were once again... At the very least, we can say a little spotty. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, the fact that FiveThirtyEight's methodology had another so-so showing on election night, I guess, gives Rovell backers a little something to cling to. But I, I still say Nate Silver uh, won the Twitter battle, uh, but but mm-hmm. but only by decision, not by knockout.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't even know which Paul had uh, one guy up 17 points in Wisconsin and <laughs> right. the result is going to be one or two. <laughs> right. That's like, you know. Uh, you know, enjoy the sunny 65 degree day and then you're outside and there's eight inches of snow on the ground. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's or or three inches of rain and you're you're drenched because you didn't even bring a raincoat because you were told it was going to be sunny in 65. I mean, just brutal. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess the scorecard that you mentioned would be depending on um, – uh, experts actually analyzing the details, whereas Twitter doesn't have
2: any experts. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> no, 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 it does not. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 116 of Gamble On, where a couple of Twitter non-experts will uh, spout off about all sorts of topics. If you missed any of our previous 115 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Just please don't call us disqualifyingly stupid in your reviews.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by Stephen Keach. Uh, he leads the projection team at Roto Grinders. He's going to talk about the NFL season to this point, his thoughts on betting on it moving forward. Plus, we'll get his insights on the opening days of legal betting in his home state of Tennessee. But first, it's been a busy Election Day week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it.
3: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
2: John just teased this as a topic we'll be discussing with our guest Stephen, but first let's address it ourselves, the launch, finally. Of sports betting in Tennessee. It took 16 months after the legislation passed in the state, but on Sunday, just after 12 a.m., three online operators, DraftKings, FanDuel, and BetMGM, started taking bets, with a fourth, Tennessee Action 24 7, joining them at 8 a.m. Sunday.
1: That's kind of ironic, isn't it? The 24-7 <laughs> one. Uh, 24-7, starting but, at 8. Yeah. <laughs> that's the old, Stephen, the old Stephen Wright, the comedian. Uh, he goes to like a 7-Eleven, and it says closed. And then he points to the sign that says, you know, open 24 hours. And the, the worker inside says, well, not in a row.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tennessee action 24-7 started by some big Stephen Wright fans, apparently. Um, <laughs> the, the volunteer state became the twenty. 20- 20th to offer legal sports betting and the first to allow it online only with no casinos in the state. The most notable element of the rules in Tennessee distinguishing the state from others is a 90% payout cap. This means operators must hold at least 10%, a rule that doesn't exist in any other U.S. jurisdiction. There was worry that this would mean larger vigs than sports bettors in other states are seeing. But in the opening days of betting, we're seeing standard minus 110 lines in Tennessee, Presumably, the books got off to a decent start with the local team, the Titans, losing in a big upset to the Bengals last Sunday. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on the sports betting outlook for Tennessee? Do you think other states are watching closely to see how the payout cap stipulation goes? And how much better did the next roto Grinder Super Bowl party in Nashville, whenever it's safe to hold one again, just get?
1: Wow, I forgot. This year, in 2020, we were down in Nashville to see the Super Bowl. That's hard (laughs) to believe. (laughs) That seems like 25 years ago. (laughs) It does. um, I think Tennessee does a couple of important things for sports betting in the U.S. Uh, First, it's a southern state. At least it is from here in New Jersey, anyway. Uh, And it's embrace of this makes wagering less off-putting, I think, to other states in the region. that have also been kind of slow to move forward on legal gambling expansion historically. Uh, and the second is that online model, uh, even states that have casinos might otherwise have been leery of that, uh, and they'll see that it's going to work just fine. So I think, uh, some of those states that, uh, just don't trust that idea are going to see a state that doesn't even have an uh, an alternative, uh, are going to do just fine, as I said. So then there's that wacky 10% hold minimum, um, I look at this, frankly, like the extremely high taxes in your Pennsylvania, which supposedly could lead to sports books to only offer insanely terrible lines so uh, the books could be sure to make up the difference. But in competitive business environments, you can't just do that and get away with it. Some rival will break ranks and grab market share away from you with decent lines or any kind of decent uh, consumer offering. So I think this whole minimum will be a tempest in a teapot. Wait, how the hell old am I anyway with a phrase like (laughs) a teapot? Where did did that come from?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely one of those phrases that I know but have never actually used myself in real life. I don't Uh, even know what it means. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it applies here. Um, And Mm. we'll talk more with uh, Stephen Keech about the payout cap. But we know that other states have – considered using one uh there are still a lot of states in the process of legalizing sports betting and writing their rules so i i think there will be a handful handful of states watching tennessee closely to see if this payout cap proves good, bad, or indifferent, but like you, I'm sort of leaning toward indifferent being the answer there. Um, you know, And of course, if the Titans, uh, who started 5-0 and but have since lost two straight, if they continue to go cold the rest of the season, the 10% hold could get there without any help anyway. It took an annoyingly long time for betting to go live in Tennessee, but... Yeah. In the end, nobody will remember that it started in the middle of football season instead of being ready for the start of the season. Uh, I live in Pennsylvania. I know about waiting for sites to launch long after the Uh laws have been passed. Uh It's not ideal, but hey, we can't all be New Jersey. Uh, In in some states, you Uh have to expect a, a slow and steady approach and be patient. Well, just picture if the
1: season had opened the way it did, um, Tennessee Titans fans would have been betting the Titans every week, mm-hmm. and they would have been winning every week and rarely covering every week. So <laughs> that's true. Kind of
2: mixed bag, <laughs> <time> anyway. <laughs> right, good for the money line betters, but uh, you're you're right, not not right. beating the good. spread all the time. Um, and uh, I, as far as just the the my note about the Super Bowl party, I think realistically we're looking at 2022 for the next Super Bowl party in Nashville. Uh, but clearly, this is a game changer. Not necessarily in a good way, though, you know, with all the in-game betting that's going to be going on, high likelihood that everyone is staring at their phones the entire time and never looks up at the TV screens or makes eye contact with any of the people that they're talking to. It should be uh, a different kind of uh, Super Bowl party uh, with legal sports betting in, uh, in Tennessee.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at sporting events like the World Series, which had limited uh, fan involvement, obviously, but there were some fans in the stands, and most of them were not actually watching the field. You know, it seemed like they were staring at their phones anyhow. That's life in 2020 and 2022 and beyond.
2: That's true. All right. Um, for our second story, uh, since nobody on any podcast anywhere is talking about the election, I feel like we should. Uh, we will talk about the betting on the presidential election in a moment. But first, let's talk about sports betting ballot initiatives. Very. Various forms of gaming were on the ballot in six states, and the gambling industry went six for six. Here's a quick rundown. In Maryland, statewide mobile sports betting was approved by almost a two-to-one margin with many details still to follow and the actual launch of betting apps still estimated to be about a year away. In Louisiana, 55 of 64 parishes voted to allow retail-only sports betting. Nebraska voted in favor of a gaming expansion that would allow all games of chance, which is believed to include sports betting, uh, but many details are still to come there. South Dakota voted to allow sports betting at tribal casinos and in the town of Deadwood and maybe at other locations if the legislature allows. In Colorado, an amendment passed that could increase casino betting limits. And lastly, in Virginia, where legal sports betting will be launching in the next few months, four cities voted to allow casinos to be built. Uh, John, you don't have to comment on all six, but what do you view as the major stories here and any surprise that gambling went a perfect six for six?
1: Well, I'm thrilled for Deadwood because, I don't know, it's a cool (laughs) name and it sounds like a fun town. I've never been there. One of the few states I haven't been to. Hmm. Uh, Maybe that's another uh, piece of incentive for me to come. But uh, I would have bet under five and a half out of six states for sure. And that the reason I would have done that is I laid my hopes on uh, with that bet on Nebraska, because setting the merits aside, legendary coach Tom Osborne uh, opposed passage of all three of those vague gambling measures. Hmm. You know, Os- Osborne walked on water in the college football heavy state for 25 years. Nine, three and one is the worst record in his career that ended in 1997. Hmm. Uh, so I thought whatever he said would go. But uh Sick transit gloria, I guess, to use another phrase that no one has uttered in (laughs) 20 years.
2: Yeah, and that's when I don't even have a clue what it means. (laughs) Now you've gone fully over my head. Well, some things are fleeting. Let's put it that way. <laughs> OK, gotcha. Um, yeah, big picture. This is a hell of a statement about American attitudes towards sports betting. I think if, if all these ballot measures had showed up a few years ago, which I realize unrealistic before PASPA was overturned, but you know, just go with it as a thought experiment, you would have seen very mixed results. A lot more people feeling very uncomfortable with the idea of legal sports betting in their state. This shows how ubiquitous sports betting has become the last two years. Coverage of it is everywhere. Ads for it are everywhere and everywhere, apparently, from South Dakota to Louisiana to Maryland. A majority of people are fine with it. Tuesday was an important day for sports betting. I think people are maybe failing to appreciate uh, what a symbolic tipping point uh, these elections will, will turn out to have been.
1: Uh, I think also this makes it clear that New Jersey is going to lead the country in every single topic from now on for the next couple of decades. So <laughs> yeah. whatever New Jersey does, you guys are just follow in our path. <laughs>
2: <laughs> OK. Um, of course, the eyes of the world on Tuesday night were not on those ballot initiatives, but rather they were on the presidential election. And we have to take a moment to talk about the offshore slash European betting odds and the way they swung back and forth. Of course, election betting is not yet legal in the U.S., but the gambling community was tweeting all night about these offshore odds. We talked about them with guest Albert Tapper a couple of weeks ago. Biden was a solid favorite, a little under two to one through much of the buildup. When Florida started looking good for Trump, it swung and he became the general election betting favorite by about 10 p.m. Eastern. Trump was as high as minus 700 at one book. Then Arizona was pointing to Biden and started to swing back the other way. Many folks went to bed with Trump, a huge favorite, then woke up to Biden as the favorite again. Two takeaways for me. The wild swings tell me that most of the people betting on elections don't really know as much as they think they do. And the theory that the odds are predictive of anything is extremely weak. Uh, And my other thought is the offshores must love the publicity they got all night and the legal U.S. books are leaving a lot of money on the table until this is legalized. Uh, John, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, there's still a part of me that, that can't let go of the idea that I don't like important stuff, such as elections getting lumped in with trivial ones like sporting events. I, I right. just don't. Um, yet I, too, was following the betting boards and social media, also watching three TV networks that just each had a dude with a big board rambling stat after, <laughs> stat, after stat after stat. I mean, it wasn't entertaining and it wasn't helpful. Um, I kind of want to know what the score of the game was. And as you know, the betting odds couldn't do that. But at least it told you what the fans in the stands thought the score was. Hmm. That's something uh, that seemed more relevant than the drivel I was hearing on the three networks.
2: Yeah, I you know I don't mind the big board so much but yeah it would of course we'd all love to know what the real score is but I guess it's not it's not as simple as that uh with these elections. Um a, a quick shout out to our one-time guest Adam Levitan who got a few thousand retweets for this one. Uh he wrote "saw some trump -550 as i went to bed wake up to biden -170" This is like a Falcons game. Uh, that that one hit uh, right in the sweet spot for every NFL <laughs> oh, fan and DFS exactly player, much. I think. Yeah, um, yeah
1: that's, that's good.
2: <laughs> it definitely was annoying uh, to see so much of Twitter having to quote odds from offshore. But, you mm. know, it is what it is. They're reporting on reality. What I really hate is the non-sports betting people in the media who then misrepresent it and tweet that, Vegas has Biden at minus 200 or whatever. Any bookmaker is, quote unquote, Vegas to a lot of people. Uh, But I I do think the way things are trending with the rapid pace of change, election betting, I think, will be legal in some states in 2024, hopefully with low limits like Oscars betting has.
1: Yeah, that that's a that's a good compromise. I think um, you're right that I think it's going that way. And uh, I just uh, I don't know. I'm struggling.
2: (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I'm right there with you. I won't be betting on it uh, myself. Um, Yeah, no, I I can't not even for small money. I can't imagine uh, no matter how much value I saw in any odds at any moment during this election, there's just too much at stake here to me. It's like if I. On whether my kid was going to get rejected or accepted at a college, I'd have to be a pretty sick <laughs> gen to put money on stuff like that. Uh, but 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 clearly, a lot of people don't share my attitude and are perfectly willing to bet on this stuff. Um, one other, you know, real takeaway that I want to hammer is that at least in a big presidential election where the world is watching, these betting markets really are not. Predictive, they're they're reactive and and in some cases overreactive. Uh, all it took was Miami Dade producing some unexpected numbers uh, in a state that Biden was never really expected to win and didn't need to win. But all that that one thing happens and the betting markets go haywire. It was fascinating to watch. I'll say that much.
1: Well, there also was the uh, the first uh, network by hours to call Arizona was mm-hmm. Fox. And right. that obviously confused people because they <laughs> yes. figured, well, if quote-unquote even Fox is calling it, it must be a done deal, you know, and uh, I it, it think it will be but it, it's a lot closer than they expected so that confused the hell out of everybody all night I can say that.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy that here we are recording this on Thursday morning and uh, so it's been about a day and a half since Fox called Arizona and uh, it's still not actually called uh, anywhere else. But you're right that that was a key moment in swinging the odds back if Fox hadn't called Arizona when they did. Who knows when the Biden surge and the odds comes. But
1: uh, (sighs) that also goes to your point about how betters don't really know much. Um, Right. uh, They uh, obviously there have been a number of times that that Fox has been doing things like that, that that don't fit the, you know, the mantra. Right. You know, well, of course, they're going to swing this way or that way. For whatever reason, um, there are some parts of that network that that uh, analyze things in kind of a uh, a nerdy you know numbers way, mm-hmm. and that's what happens. And so yeah, this disconnect where the you know the 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 viewers of one channel are are angry with the channel they like, and <laughs> right. the channel saying, "Look, we got it right," and you know, I think they do, But uh, like I said, Thursday we don't even know. So that was the weirdest thing, frankly, of a of a weird night. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, hopefully we got through that uh, managing not to uh, say anything that would be too alienating, just uh, covering the story. <laughs> uh, but our final one here is is a lot safer anyway Uh, and uh, this this one is right up your alley john or or perhaps i should say right up your fairway uh we've reported on quite a few partnerships between sports betting operators and either teams or leagues over the last couple of years but this is a new one a sportsbook partnering with an individual as u.s open champion bryson dechambeau has become the first active professional golfer to sign a deal with DraftKings. This comes, of course, just a week or so before the start of the delayed 2020 Masters, where we now know that DeChambeau will have the DraftKings logo on his trademark cap. John, you're the golf expert here. It has historically been a very traditional sport with a conservative reputation. So what does this move mean for the game of golf, for DeChambeau and for DraftKings?
1: Yeah, I mean, I see this as a big deal. And it is so amusing to me to see Bryson launch this at fabled Augusta National, which, of course, has a, you know, racist past that lasted long enough. I can remember Lee Elder ignoring death threats in 1975 as it became the first black player finally allowed to play in the Masters. Hmm. Only 28 years after Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball. What a what a heritage. <laughs> uh, now, to be fair, another tradition at Augusta has held up as well. Uh, cheap food and drink prices. As of last year, you can get a chicken sandwich for three bucks and a bottle of water for two bucks or an imported craft beer for five. That beats any arena or stadium around the country. Yeah. So the point being, this is one country club that resists all kinds of change. Let's just say that, um, to be diplomatic. Uh, but they have no say in what Deschamps cap, and I actually prefer to call him Bryson de Chapeau, But uh, <laughs> and the tours, yeah, and the tours embrace daily fantasy sports and sports betting with open arms in recent years. Anyway, In uh, fact is, there's been more gambling on golf courses among foursomes over recent decades than you've seen in any other sport that's played by amateurs. It just lends itself to that. And while Charlie Hoffman's deal reached with Monkey Knife Fight this spring didn't quite move the needle, I think Bryson's deal certainly does.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm your classic extreme casual when it comes to golf. I have nothing against the sport, but it's never my first choice to watch. Although, if I have a bet on it, it can be a really fun sweat, uh, as you were basically saying. Golf and gambling go together very well. Uh, it's one of the most popular sports for DraftKings. DFS golf is more popular than a lot of people realize, and DeChambeau seems a good match uh, for 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 DraftKings from my outsider's perspective. You know, he seems to be like a a real life Happy Gilmore with some early two thousands Barry Bonds mixed in. Um, I don't know what his personality is like, but I'm just saying as an athlete. Uh, he's young, he has some appeal, he makes sense to be the guy DraftKings would want to put their logo on.
1: Yeah, they call him a mad professor. He's got a very scientific uh, analytic approach and he, as a he wants to go through these golf courses like Godzilla through Tokyo. Um, he's looking to drive 400 yards on a lot of these uh, holes uh, at Augusta which is sacrilege down there so he's definitely uh, a, a rebel and people are Always oh, fascinated by rebels, so that's why I think it's a big deal. He's the most
2: interesting man in golf right now. Sorry, mm. Tiger Woods. <laughs> right. So okay. So in terms of the Mike Happy Gilmore comparison, it sounds like they have the long driving, but that's 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 where the comparison really uh, ends. Uh, if if he's any well, kind no, of an no, scientist. Uh, Bryson...
1: Bryson just recently talked about how he, he looked at uh, at Happy Gilmore. I'm not kidding. Okay. And and thought, like, how can I do that? Right. Mm. He's not going to do the other silly things. But in terms of just <laughs> ridiculous swing and strength and distance, right. yeah, he's totally into it, which is kind of cool. I mean, yeah. it just is. All
2: right. Um, not, not a gambling topic, but a, a, a golf question for you, John. Mm. What's up with the way that since Tiger's decade plus of dominance ended, these – other young guns seem to show up and look like the real deal, and they get labeled the next tiger for a year or two and then fall back to the pack. I mean, you know, Jordan Spieth was unstoppable for a, a moment, a year or two. I don't know exactly what it was. Then it was Kepka. Maybe Kepka's still going to be the guy, but it seems like for the moment he's cooled off. And so now maybe it's uh, Bryson. Is golf just such a, a draining mental game that it's rare to find someone who can stay at the top once he gets there? Because, you know, physically, it's a sport where your prime should last 10 to 20 years. Uh, in tennis, we still have Nadal, Federer, Djokovic at the top. But in <laughs> golf, there's constant turnover at the top. I'm just curious for for your take on that.
1: Yeah, well, keep in mind that uh, Tiger Woods, when he was three years old, was on a show called That's Incredible. Uh, he drove the ball about over 200 yards at three years old. It was mm. crazy. It was considered kind of cute. Um, let's just say that his father was a bit involved in his development. Can uh, <laughs> yes. we say that? He, he was... Uh, really uh, encouraging of Tiger to work very hard, shall we say that? (laughs) And he was the only one of that era. So now these kids are not necessarily doing this at age three, Mm -hmm. but um, they're all, by the time age 10 or 11, they are accomplished golfers. They're playing each other in national tournaments all over the place. Some of them are playing internationally by the time they're age 12, okay? So there's so many of them. And, you know, I've referred to the reason I like phenoms in these golf picks is that – the old joke about the participation trophy and how all these kids, no matter what they do, they get rewarded and how soft it's going to make them. And, uh, you know, the old school me kind of likes that. You know, that's kind of stupid and they shouldn't get that. And life's tough. They better learn these stupid kids. But to me, the self-esteem these kids have is such that they all think that the world is their oyster, right? So they're going to just show up and win tournaments. Colin Morikawa has one and so many others. And Matthew Wolfe was 21 years old, runner-up at the U.S. Open at Chambeau. So I think the, the confidence these kids have, whatever one thinks of the change in culture and participation trophies and whatever, uh, they're not waiting anymore but all of them feel the same way so that's why none of them can dominate because they they're all confident whereas tiger was the only one going through the way that he did
2: hmm really interesting hadn't hadn't heard that or, or thought about that but i guess so uh so had tiger come along later obviously tiger inspired this wave of so many good young golfers but it just in theory if 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 he'd come along 15 years later he would have been up against more tough competition, you're saying, and and probably wouldn't have been quite as dominant as he turned out to be if he had if he was the same age as all these guys.
1: I I mean, I think so. Uh, His uh, obsession really uh, reminds me of Michael Jordan, frankly. And there's almost nobody like that. And I don't think any of these young players are quite that intense which is not necessarily an insult because (laughs) (laughs) these these young players are I think more well rounded you know they have lives they have outside ideas they work first of all they keep themselves in phenomenal shape compared to previous decades it's incredible what they do they treat their bodies like temples you know I mean and and so they put the work in but I don't think they uh, uh, make it 24-7 whereas Tiger you know uh kind of did so i i think tiger would have been the best of the crop if, if you're making that comparison right but i'm not sure i'd want to be that
0: it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling
1: let's get to the gamble on
3: interview
2: We have hit the midpoint of the NFL season. Some teams have played eight games. The rest will play their eighth this weekend. So it's a good time to assess the 2020 NFL betting picture. And joining us now to share his insights is the man who leads the projections team at Roto Grinders. He's better known throughout the DFS world by his initials SBK, a resident of the newly legal sports betting state of Tennessee, Stephen Keach. Stephen, thanks for joining us on Gamble On.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
2: So let's talk about the NFL MVP race uh, and and the betting on it. This is something people have been talking about really since about week two. Uh, And uh, here at the midpoint of the season, we're starting to get some clarity, although there are still a lot of games to play and a lot can change. But this past week, Russell Wilson made a leap to a minus money favorite. I'm seeing him anywhere from minus 150 to minus 175. In your view, is he really running away with it like those odds suggest, or is Mahomes a better bet at plus three fifty, or is the best bet a long shot like Ben Roethlisberger at twenty eight to one if you think Pittsburgh can go fifteen and one or sixteen and zero?
3: So yeah, I mean Russ has obviously just just been incredible um, statistically. We haven't really seen much like this at you know this, this point in the season. He's thrown twenty six touchdown passes through seven games. The next closest to him is Mahomes with 21, who was, Mahomes has played an extra game. So just astronomical stats. I, I think at this point, obviously, no one's really competing with him in that regard. But to see him, I, I see him at, at minus 182 on DraftKings right now. And that number just seems a little high. We're still, we're only at the midpoint, so there's still a lot of football to go, obviously. And, the statistical difference between Wilson and Mahomes to this point isn't really that large, I mean, other than the touchdowns where Wilson has an obvious edge. Um, the rest of the stats are, are fairly close. Obviously, I mean, the Chiefs are rolling. They're 7-1. looks like they should just roll through the AFC West. They have by far the best point differential in the NFL at 101. And while Seattle is obviously still rolling in their own right, I think they've been a little bit fortunate to win some of the games that they won recently. And I do expect to see uh, Russ regress a little bit statistically, which I think we probably all do. But, yeah, I think it, it, if I'm betting into the market today, I do like that Mahomes at plus 350 number, I think better than, than any of the other ones. Um, if you do want to bet Russ, though, I do think there's a path to doing that. So if you look at the Seahawks schedule, they have three games coming up. They're in Buffalo this coming week. They travel to play the L.A. Rams on the road and then have a primetime game with the Cardinals. They could conceivably drop two of those games. We could see Russ begin to um, start to kind of slow down a bit statistically. And after that three-game stretch, they play three games against the NFC East and the Jets. So I think if you want to buy in on Russ, the best time to do it might be after week 10 uh, I do. I am a believer in the Rams offense. I think at the end of the season it wouldn't be shocking if they were a the top five or seven defense. So if he struggles a little bit against them, maybe they drop that game. Um, Mahomes continues to roll. I think we see that number come down to a more reasonable level on Wilson. So I think if you want to bet him, I think the best of the number might come between week 10 and week 11 on Wilson.
2: Interesting. And I want to get your quick thoughts on one other race that is that is even closer, that's a, as close as it could possibly be the offensive rookie of the year race where the latest numbers pretty much everywhere you look, both Burrow and Herbert are exactly the same plus 100 even money. Are are you backing either horse there? Do, does either one look like a better bet than the other to you right now?
3: Uh, I, I mean, I don't really see a, a ton of value there. I don't even try to project those markets out. But I think in At least where we stand now, I do like Herbert over Burrow. If you can get them both at even money, I do like playing Herbert there. I think I saw on on BetMGM they had Herbert at even money and Burrow at plus 130. Hmm. Um, Herbert has had a better statistical season than Burrow to this point. Both of those guys absolutely look like the real deal. I think this could be one of the better quarterback drafts we've seen in a while. Um, But I don't think there's really a a ton separating them right now. I think things could be considerably different had the Chargers not blown a couple late leads. The market could be very different on these two. Um, They've both been awesome. I think if I'm betting into that today, I think Herbert's the guy, but I don't really have a ton of confidence either way. They've both been good, and I can't really see anyone beyond those two winning it right now, barring an injury.
1: You know, Stephen, I started dabbling this year into the uh, over/under on passing yards for quarterbacks idea, uh, partly because I think with the lack of training camps, the teams with poor offensive lines are really up against it. They they needed a lot of reps in the preseason, they didn't get it. The teams with strong defensive lines absolutely can dominate. So Monday night, I like. Uh, the Buccaneers to shut down Daniel Jones of the Giants. And that worked well in the first half, not great in the third quarter, but it looked like it was a winner. And with a couple of minutes left on fourth down, Jones throws one and it goes over. And I'm starting to feel like, how do you ever get an under? Even more so before that, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, uh, Nick Foles against the uh, Rams, which was I thought was a perfect setup for me. And Foles was getting nowhere for three quarters, maybe 100 yards total out of you know 230, whatever he needed. And, of course, in the fourth quarter, he racks up like 150 passing yards, and I got killed on that. And the first one I had tried was Andy Dalton. Uh, I think it was against the Cardinals, but it was a blowout loss uh, for the Cowboys. But I'm within 25 yards with, you know, three, four minutes left. So I'm going to steal this one. I mean, it was a bad pick, but I'm going to steal it anyway because they always go over. And, of course, he gets benched for the last three minutes for reasons unbeknown to me, for that James Madison quarterback who might be out of the NFL by now. So uh, that's 0 for 3 for me. So, of course, now I think it's all luck. But is there actually any uh, skill to uh, picking over-unders and passing yards? And how do you handle the fact that no matter how good a start you have for an under, the fourth quarter garbage time is, is allowed to get you almost every time?
3: Yeah, quarterback yardage props, they're a a very tough one for me. I feel like, so as I said, I'm I'm involved in the projections process here. And and when I do my early week numbers in in terms of uh, projecting uh, passing work, and then I see the props come in considerably differently a couple days from then, I will almost always assume that that I'm in the wrong and that my numbers are are not correct. And I don't generally have enough conviction to feel confident uh, even when I do see a difference between my numbers in the market to to actually bet that I tend to see more value um, within my own numbers on reception props or yardage props, With you know, in terms of uh, running backs or receivers, passing yards is, is very tough. I mean, it's a lot obviously dependent on game flow. And there's, you know, there's so many kind of random things that can happen that can kind of set things on a different path to, relative to where you kind of expected things to go. So it's a prop market that I just generally don't have much confidence in in my enough confidence in my own numbers to to feel confident betting them. And I I feel for John, I feel like betting any under in the NFL right now is just an absolute uh, nightmare.
1: Yeah, it's brutal anyway. I, I found that for, you know, for decades where uh, under is just, it's just tough to bet. I mean, if you're a professional and you're being scientific about it, it can make sense. And obviously, uh, unders on anything come in plenty of time, close to half the time or even more than half the time. But it just doesn't feel like that. So I think I'm going to stay away from these passing yards based on your advice. It's just it's just too much involved.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think if you find, you know, you're confident in the value that you see, you know, I don't have an issue with it. There's there's angles you can play. I mean, uh, sometimes weather can win more so, can, can play a role. Um, maybe you see an injury on the defensive side, which might make it easier for that team to run the ball or move it, move it on the ground, and you think you have an angle there. So I think there's there's different kind of tidbits you can find and, and pick out that might make you lean toward a side and feel confident, confident enough to bet it. But for me, it's just – uh, I very rarely find myself in those spots. I don't think I'd bet a, a yardage crop yet this year.
2: So uh, as I noted when I introduced you, uh, Stephen, you're uh, you're in Tennessee where uh, legal online sports betting arrived just this past Sunday. Uh, did you dive right in, firing off bets on on every game on the first Sunday, or did you kind of just dip one toe in the water to start? Uh, just curious about your your personal approach to uh, to getting it underway there, and then sort of bigger picture. What's your level of concern about this required hold in Tennessee that? that is expected to kick in early next year. Is that a threat, do you think, to drive customers back to the offshores?
3: Well, uh, I mean, first of all, I could not be more excited to have, have legal sports betting here. It's, I really felt like a kid on, on Christmas morning um, when I woke up and, and was able to hop into these apps and see all these you know, free bets and stuff. It was just absolutely incredible. I'm so glad that it's here. Um, the one downside of it launching on Sunday was that I didn't really have the option to price shop my uh, week eight Uh, picks during the week. So most of my action uh, was still on the not legal uh, market, you know, uh, prior to Sunday. But once we got going, um, I my first legal wager, I got down on the Seahawks minus one once they, they moved to that number. And then unfortunately, also bought in on the Saints minus four and a half, where they did not cover and lost a pretty horrific one. I, I played Dallas in the first quarter uh, of the Sunday night game, which lost with uh, a two-second two play on the Eagles touchdown after uh, uh, Danucci fumbled in, in Eagles territory to potentially put that one away. So a little bit of a bittersweet uh, day in terms of my own success with it. But still, I mean, they were free bets, so I didn't end up losing anything. It's it's very rare you can, can lose a bet and not actually lose any money. So, uh playing too much it's it's again it's just absolutely phenomenal to have it have it live here um like you alluded to a 21 21 could bring some some changes within this force betting market here i'm very curious to see how it plays out at least as i understand it you guys can probably correct me if i'm wrong but if the books do not comply with that 10 percent hold they just have to pay a, a $25,000 yearly fine if they don't comply with that and given that that's essentially pennies to them my thought is that they would just pay that fine, continue to offer competitive pricing and just kind of move along. Um, so that's why I'm optimistic that it's not going to be an issue. We obviously saw competitive pricing in week one, which was or week eight, excuse me, week one here, which was to be expected. But if they aren't just willing to eat that fine for whatever reason, and we see some increased pricing on crops or, or in-play betting, um, or even God forbid on sides, I think that would begin to push me at least back to the um, not legal market. I'm not sold that the people who are just kind of entering this market will, will kind of approach it the same way. I, I think a, a new better might not even you know, want to explore an offshore or a, an unlicensed book. So, you know, at the end of the day, it might not impact the books much. They, they might lose some, some bigger betters as a result of not offering competitive lines. But I remain pretty optimistic that that they'll they'll kind of just eat that eat that yearly fine and, and offer competitive pricing and, and keep things rolling.
2: Right, and and maybe just hope for uh, a lot of people uh, doing the parlay betting, which is where the books uh, have their their biggest margin and probably don't have to worry too much about manipulating the the lines if if people are are, are betting the wild parlays enough.
3: Right, right. I saw some speculation that that parlays might be an area where they they rise, they raise juice, and that seemed odd to me. I'm like, they should just keep things the way they are. They're, they're <laughs> going to make enough money on, on that as it is. So, right. It, it, it should be interesting. I'm I'm hoping they they do, uh, you know, what's best for the players, and certainly as a player in Tennessee here, I don't I don't want to see uh, the big rise at
2: all. Right. All
1: right Steven, Stephen. There's there's two really unusual. Uh, issues on point spreads this year in the NFL. Uh, the Cowboys are 0-8, first team in almost 20 years to uh, lose every game against the point spread. I think it was the the, the post-Super Bowl champion Raiders who uh, didn't do it. And that kind of makes sense. A team that wins the Super Bowl but is really not that great, and they're kind of have a hangover the next season, literally or figuratively in that team's case. And so the, the betting public doesn't adjust right away. Um, but the other one is the Patriots haven't had a losing season against the point spread in, I think, 18 years, which is astounding. I mean, obviously they're you know they're uh, getting a lot of respect from the books and the, and the public anyway and yet they still beat the numbers more than half the time but this year they're way underwater on that as well as in the in real life so i'm wondering for the second half uh are the cowboys or the patriots either one or both seem to you to have any life left in them where they're going to be underrated now and they're going to be tend to be a good play or are they both just doomed even even with the point spreads adjusting
3: well, John, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll be honest. I have bet. I've been thinking that this Cowboys against the spread thing is going to change for about a month. I've been on them way too many times in the last the last four games. I think when they hit zero and four, I'm like, this this isn't going to continue. There's no way they continue to lose against the spread. They can't be as bad as they continue to play. But now we're sitting at zero and eight, and I'm a little bit ashamed to admit that I do actually show some value on them this week at plus fourteen. If you can get that number. Um, as disgusting as it might feel to place a bet on the Cowboys right now, it's this week uh, against the Steelers is a pretty interesting matchup where we have a six and one ATS team, uh, the best record in the NFL against an 0 8 ATS team. Um, so I think if I'm betting this one, I might just try to lay off for my own sanity. I've, I've lost too much money on the Cowboys this year, <laughs> but um, I think I am mean, showing a little bit of value on them. I, if I'm going to end up on a side in that game this week, it's going to be Dallas which is again, absolutely horrifying, but it's been, I mean, it's surprising to, to see a team not have a, an ATS win halfway through the season. I mean, I think we saw Chicago last year was the worst ATS team at four and 12 the year prior to that. I believe it was San Francisco at five and 11. So we're going to see Dallas get some against the spread wins here. I think it, it's possible that they get one this week um, in regards to the Patriots. Their run against the spread over the last decade plus has been incredible. I don't think it's super surprising to see any team at three and four against the spread, which I think is where they are right now. Um, But New England, obviously, just given how they've run it, it's a little bit surprising. I think it's kind of safe to assume that we're kind of seeing, obviously, a down year from them. I don't expect to see them in the playoffs, which obviously feels very strange, especially with the Bills rolling and the Dolphins seemingly being being on the rise. I'm curious if, if I'll find value on them, you know, over the next few weeks, like the Cowboys, they've been a team where I, I've been on too many times. Uh, I'm in the uh, like taking place in the, the circus sports million. And I think the worst line I've played all year, I played the Patriots minus 10 and a half a couple weeks ago when they were facing Denver. And I look back at that now and, and could not be more upset about myself at that, Um so I think – I still kind of have them as basically a league average team. So I think some of the hate on them is, is a little much. Um, but the Cowboys I have basically as at least right now with their quarterback situation is the worst team in the NFL, behind the Jets. So it's it's wow. been a bad state of affairs for, for both squads. Um, I'm I'm not sold that the Cowboys turn things around. But I, I think – especially in divisional games and conference games, I think we can see the Patriots uh, – farewell um, in terms of covering a number but don't expect to see them in the playoffs come the end of the season
2: well as, a, as an eagles fan hearing you say the words cowboys worst team in the nfl lower even than the jets that's that's music to my ears so uh, I, unfortunately i'm sorry that it's hurt you in the wallet for them to be so bad but uh, at least i'm getting some joy out of it
3: hey listen i'm i'm an eagles fan as well so i'm right there with you if i'm gonna okay. lose money on a team. It, kind of works out well as the Cowboys as, as they're kind of faltering. So it's at least a win-win.
2: Right. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great uh, talking to you, Stephen. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'll let our listeners know that they can find you on Twitter at Steph Byron Keech. So first five letters, your first name, S-T-E-P-H, Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, Keech, K-E-E-C-H. Uh, anything else uh, to plug? Anywhere else uh, people should check out to, to see what you've been up to?
3: Um, I mean, you know, I'm heavily involved with the Roto-Grinders projections, uh, so if you kind of want to get my take on, on those things, um, hop over there. We we have uh, Lineup HQ if you're making daily fantasy lineups is is really the place to be, um, and there's plenty of, of viable information there if you're you're betting sports as well. So um, that's
2: kind of the main place you can find me. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show, Stephen. We really appreciate it. Thanks for
3: having me, guys. Appreciate it.
1: All right. Thanks, Steve. Two men. Two men. Will they run it up
3: or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
2: We'll get to the fast five shortly. But first, let's update our shared bankroll. And we'll actually do that in two phases. First, let's take a look at last week's bets. In short, John did nothing but win, and I did nothing but lose, and we more or less canceled (laughs) each other out. I had three boxing bets that all lost. Uh, Lee Selby as a plus 105 underdog lost a close decision. And I had Gervonta Davis by KO in rounds one to three and Leo Santa Cruz by decision as two opposite side long shots on the same fight. And neither extreme came in as Davis KO'd Santa Cruz in round six. Uh. So that added up to one hundred five dollars in boxing losses. I also had one hundred ten dollars on the under in the Raven Steelers game and it went over by one score. So I lost us two hundred fifteen dollars, but John won us an even two hundred dollars cashing with both Ohio state minus 12 and Arkansas plus 12 and a half. I didn't watch either game, but I did see the final scores and it appears lady luck was on our side on Saturday. Do you want to break it down, John?
1: Yeah, let me cut this way down. Um, Ohio State obliterated Penn State in the first half. They led only 21 to 6, though, part through some bad officiating. Uh, and Penn State scores a TD with about six minutes left to get within 38 25. Uh oh, I'm giving 12. Uh, they go for two and try to beat my minus 12, and they miss. Looks good. Uh, but then Ohio State just turtles up, and there's an interception with three minutes left in the game. Balls down to the Penn State 5, and then State misses a second 20-yard field goal of the game, and, well, they covered anyway, and uh, I failed in my effort to make it short. Uh, the <laughs> other one yeah, is Arkansas, a live underdog, and they really were, but, you know, eventually Texas A&M's offense was too strong, so it's 42-17 entering the fourth quarter, and then it's 42-24 in the final minute. And there's a cheap tee for a shameful cover with 38 seconds left against an Aggies team and coaching staff that probably learned of the point spread within seconds of the final whistle, I would guess. But <laughs> yeah. we will take that absolute theft. So I had an easy win by one and a, uh, a lucky win by a half or whatever. So uh, they, were, they were opposite ends, but they both won. Okay,
2: we'll take it. Um, And since it's the midpoint of the NFL season, as we were just discussing with Stephen, probably a good point to check in quickly on all of our NFL futures bets. Only one of these is yours, John. It's uh, Bengals under five and a half wins, $110 to win 100. They're at two, five and one. So we want them to go three and five or worse the rest of the way. We're a favorite, but it's not a slam dunk as they have Washington, Dallas, and the Giants on their schedule, plus Houston, Miami. We should win, but last week's upset of the Titans uh, put this one in the questionable column for us. Uh, And then uh, we get to my bets, which are... Shaky at best overall. Uh, I had the Cowboys at minus 225 to make the playoffs, $225 to win 100. That looks horrendous. Uh, They're only a game and a half behind in the NFC East, of course, so they're far from dead. But what a season from hell they're having. I was way off on that one. Almost as embarrassing for me, uh, even though the bet is just a toss up right now was my emphatic mega lock wager on Gronk under 619 and a half yards. I laughed at the number. And uh, when he had 11 receiving yards through the first two games, I was counting my money. However, he's now at 321 yards through eight games, putting him on pace for 642, which would cost us $220. We were hurt by the OJ Howard injury that makes Gronk a more important target for Brady. We should be helped a little by the addition of Antonio Brown, but Really, the upset here is that he's played every game. I was counting on an injury or a COVID absence uh, to use to use a phrase that we're all sick of. This one is too early to call, uh, but I, I am looking foolish at the midway point on that one. And uh, two others quickly: I put forty dollars on Aaron Rodgers for MVP at plus five fifty. He's since slipped to plus nine hundred. I put fifty dollars on Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year at plus four hundred. He's since improved to plus three hundred. If we get you know, Donald or Gronk, along with your Bengals bet, we're okay. Uh, but for the most part, I'm letting you down, John. How, how are you feeling about these?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the Bengals in a different way. I'm like, I need four losses. And they have two games off with the Steelers and one with the Ravens, so could be three right and then the dolphins maybe but then the texans and three nfc lease teams as you know that's gonna be close Uh, i can possibly see a locked in ravens team in week 17 letting their backups give the Bengals an over and crushing us, but uh, Mm. uh, we'll make it there. As for Gronk, he has been resurrected, as you said, but yeah, he'll get hurt again for sure. I'm not as worried about that one as you are.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what I was counting on when I made the bet, but I don't know. He's gotten to the halfway point, and he's looking okay so far, so we'll see. But yeah, that is uh, not that I'm rooting for an injury, of course, but just in in terms of the bet, that's that's all it would take is, uh, you know, he, he misses a game or two and we're and we swing back to be in favorites there. But for yeah. now, uh, we did lose fifteen dollars uh, for for the week. So that means we are ahead of our starting stack by ninety eight dollars and we still have seven hundred forty five dollars on hold in futures bets, leaving us with nine thousand three hundred fifty three dollars available to bet with. And you're up first, John.
1: All right, so there's one more bad week of golf before the Masters, so I'm going to take the college football off that unusual 2-0. Uh, first, give me Trevor Lawrence-less Clemson, minus 6 against Notre Dame, uh, 113 to win 100. Replacement quarterback, DJ, unpronounceable, uh, looked good <laughs> against Boston College last week, especially in the second half. And a week of adjustment to not having Lawrence, I think it settles down the, the whole Clemson team, so they're going to have no big rally needed to win this time.
2: Okay, And I like how after I had pointed out that your track record for Notre Dame was a a little spotty, you go against them this time. So good. Good. I like it. I learn. Right. Um, I'm going to do a Pennsylvania parlay, uh, not for this week's game since the Eagles are on a bye, but as a futures bet. At the Camby Sportsbooks, the Eagles are minus 265 to win the NFC East. The Steelers are minus 335 to win the AFC North. The Eagles have a one-game lead over Washington and are starting to get semi-healthy. The Steelers have a two-game lead over Baltimore. If I parlay them together, it's a minus 126 price. I am, of course, anticipating my Cowboys bet losing, so this is partially a hedge against that. Although, watch Washington screw it all up for me. Uh, but let's bet $126 to win 100 on the two Pennsylvania teams both winning their divisions.
1: All right, now DraftKings has just boosted football team from plus 375 to plus 450 to win the NFC East, so I could hedge into possibly <laughs> a guaranteed loss. So I'm going <laughs> to pass there, but uh, it's <laughs> interesting. So instead, we're going to go back to the transit of property. Wyoming crushed Hawaii, which had won at Fresno State, which then throttled Colorado State. Ergo, Wyoming 114 to 100, giving only three and a half to
2: Colorado State. Okay, um, and uh, for me, I'm going to stick with the NFL for my second bet. Let's try a three-team six-point teaser. We're 2-1 and so far this season on three-team teasers, so uh, we're going to press our luck. Um, We take the Packers from minus 6 to even money against a 49ers team that has no Garoppolo, no Kittle, and a lot of guys missing the game due to COVID contact. Uh, We take the Chiefs from minus 10.5 to a much safer minus 4.5 at home against the Panthers. And we take the Patriots from minus 7 to minus 1 against the Jets, which... Bill Belichick is not letting his team be the one to lose to the Jets, I don't think. Uh, so uh, let's do $100 on that teaser to win $140. Uh, does, your, does your deep breath there mean that uh, the the Patriots is the one that makes you most nervous? Uh, I'm
1: not sure. It's, okay. Uh, you told me you're 2-1. I didn't know that, so that. That makes me feel better.
2: Okay. Well, we'll see. I could be 2-2 two and, two and done with teasers after this week. We'll see. Okay. Uh, we wrap things up now with the Fast Five, where... Suddenly the tables have turned. For the third straight week I went 4 and 1, so I've turned what was a dismal 9 and 16 record through week 5 into a 21 and 19 mark after week 8. I lost with the Panthers on Thursday night but then went 4 and 0 on Sunday thanks to a crazy fourth quarter rally from the Broncos. Meanwhile, John's luck ran opposite to mine as he went 1 and 4, winning with our shared pick, the Raiders, but losing everything else including a few games that were one score away from flipping. I'm not sure if any of them individually quite counts as a brutal beat, but the parlay of losing all the close ones was pretty darn unlucky, and uh, John's record slips to 20-19-1, putting me in the lead by a half game for the first time all season. I hope I'm not peaking too soon. Uh, Anyway, I'll I'll let you vent for a minute uh, before we give this week's picks, John
1: yeah i I feel surprisingly at peace here i 'm not sure why, but okay um, I was headed for three and one entering the fourth quarter of the early games, and the only wrong pick so to speak, Rams with a two hundred and twenty two to fifty six yard uh, first half advantage uh on the dolphins he had trailed twenty eight to ten uh, there was a potential 14-point swing on a nice defensive play by the Dolphins that, thanks to a series of unfortunate hops, turned into a silly 90-yard Miami touchdown. And So I backed the right horse there. I just lost. That's fine. Uh, the Raiders, as you know, it was smooth. Um, I did not need red zone lingering on a third-and-five drop pass in the uh, end zone in the fourth quarter by the Bills that left them going ahead by three instead of seven while I gave three and a half. Uh, he's got to catch that ball. I-, I know that. I don't need to hear that. <laughs> uh, uh, easier to live with the Chiefs adding a final touchdown to to cover versus the Jets. Uh, though the NFL's anti-bullying campaign message apparently did not make it to Kansas City because they used a fake punt to set up, I think, their second touchdown. I mean, come on. Uh, And then Adam Gase further endears himself to Jets fans. He's trailing on the spread by six and a half points or so. And their midfield with almost two minutes left, he just ran out the clock. And then there was the Bucks over the Giants. You know, enough said on that.
2: Right. All right. Well, uh, it, it it is a long season, of course, and uh, yeah. over the course of 17 weeks and 85 games, it generally tends to to even out. Still nine weeks to go. Anybody's ball game, and uh, I'm up first this week. Um, and I've had bad results with Thursday night picks this year, so I'm staying away from that. Even though my gut tells me the Packers should cover six and a half, I'm going to leave that alone. I'll start with the Titans giving five and a half at home against the Bears. You've been keyed into the mediocrity of the Bears all season. This line is six and a half elsewhere, so we're getting an extra point of value at Westgate. Titans coming off a bad loss to Cincy, slightly undervalued, needing to right the ship. They're the better overall team with a much better offense. I think they win and cover. Uh, another game where we're getting an extra point of value compared to other books, the Jags. Uh, they're six-point dogs at other books, but they're getting seven in the Super Contest. That's home against Houston. These are both really bad teams. Yeah, the Jags are probably worse, but that's a lot of points at home when one and six beats one and six. They're daring us to bet the Jaguars, and I will take that dare. Um, Another meeting of bad teams. We're getting the hook with the Washington football team. Why are they minus two and a half against the Giants instead of minus three or minus three and a half? I have no idea. Doesn't make sense to me. Daniel Jones, boy, as an Eagles fan, I hope the Giants don't give up on him. Keep giving us two (laughs) games a year against this kid for the next decade. He is just not looking like a good NFL quarterback. Kyle Allen, uh, I think, is certainly more reliable right now. The Washington defensive front will harass Jones all day. I love this line for the football team. Uh, And keeping it in the NFC East... I'll go out on a limb like Stephen Keach and say this is the week that the Cowboys beat the spread fourteen points at home against a Pittsburgh team that doesn't really run up the score they've only won by more than ten once this year. I know Dallas stinks and, and we don't even know who their quarterback is, but you know with garbage time factored in, I think fourteen points is just too high so I'm going to take the Cowboys and lastly. Tampa Bay was flat on Monday against the Giants because they were looking ahead to this week's game at home against the Saints. The line is minus four and a half. I see some value there. The Bucks are the better all around team. Even if Michael Thomas is coming back for New Orleans, look at point differential. I know this is something you like to look at. John Saints are five and two and plus nine Bucks are six and two and plus 82. Uh, much better defense about equal offenses Give me Tampa minus four and a half in a battle of teams with quarterbacks who are both basically the same age as me.
1: All right, my turn here. Let's see. Um, we have one game in common, by the way. Okay. Uh, I, I am taking the Packers minus that 6.5 versus the 49ers okay. on Thursday Night Football. Uh, line was 7.5 uh, Wednesday night on DraftKings, I noticed. As the 49ers' injury list grows ever longer, uh, the Pack have some of their own health issues, but I think they pounce on a wounded squad. Uh, next to uh, Vikings, minus 5.5 against the Matthew Staffordless Lions. That game's off the board on some books at this yeah. point. Uh, backup Chase Daniel has made tens of millions of dollars, making Five career NFL starts. Nice work if you can get it, or better yet, not work. Uh, now he's 34 years old. He's not even at his so called peak anymore. I think the Vikings cover that easily. Uh, then the Titans minus five minus five and a half with the bears, as you said, um, I wish the bears got even more respect from the books, but I'm okay with this one after, after having a layoff last week. So the Titans were riding a mirage for too long. No question. They needed that rude awakening last weekend. So, uh, coaching differential alone about covers the spread and the second half, Derek Henry does the rest. Uh, next I'm gonna go Raiders pick them over to the chargers, which has to insult John Gruden. Yes. The chargers are in every game Hell, they're leading in every game, but their head coach always bumbles it away. That Chargers locker room culture has got to be in that old coach is getting fired mode by now, and that rarely helps. And yes, finally, Cardinals minus five over those Dolphins. I love Miami's coach, and I don't see why Tua won't be good enough a good NFL quarterback, but he was utterly flummoxed by the Rams. I'm not convinced he gets better against the Cardinals defensive line either. Uh, so as with last week, though, I say sell Arizona if Fitzmagic comes in as a mid-game replacement. I'm just gambling that the Dolphins don't do that.
2: All right, interesting picks. In that uh, we're on the same we're on the same side of one game. One of your games I was just staying away from. I don't know what to make of lo- the the Raiders Chargers game, but the other three you took the side that I was leaning toward taking in in all of those games. The only reason that I stayed away from Arizona was just that the the line. Was is, is bigger here at Westgate at minus five than like the three and a halfs and fours that I'm seeing elsewhere. But it does still feel like the right side. I think uh, I I feel good. I feel like we're both going to have a big week this week. Uh, famous last words. Uh, like, <laughs> all right. So that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Stephen Keach. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis for from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out.
1: Well, as we mentioned, the election results earlier, um, as of Tuesday, 25 out of 50 states now either permit or have approved Las Vegas-style sports betting, uh, and that door only opened in May 2018 with the landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling won by New Jersey and. And you're welcome, fans, of legal regulated gambling across the country from this Jersey guy. Um, Now, speaking of Jersey, a referendum on marijuana legislation in the Garden State just passed by a big margin as well. You know, we mentioned all six gambling state votes passing. Well, all five pot-related measures passed as well, with Arizona, South Dakota, Mississippi, and Montana proving various degrees of legalization of it. Now, however one feels about these issues, it's helpful to understand where the culture is going. You know, I noticed nearly a decade ago that young adults – In my mostly not kidding way, I said, we'll approve any ballot measure that says, do you approve of allowing adults to dot, dot, dot? The rest of the questions are irrelevant. They're already marking yes on their ballot. (laughs) That's the way it is. And resistance really, whether you like it or not, uh, is futile. Uh, Better accept the wisdom from mid-century by the still standing key opening act for Martin Luther King's iconic I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. in 1963. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land. Don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of, the, out of the new one if you can't lend your hand. Yeah, for the times, they are changing. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody.